Hey, Green Future Growers! Welcome to Season 3. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes for free or follow on your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing! directly to the Green Organic Gardener podcast. Help pay for things like just hosting the MP3 files, maintaining the website... You know, I don't mind doing the work, but I could sure use some help with like some of the things, especially as we've had to tighten our belts this year. You can buy me a cup of coffee where your donation goes directly to support us. It comes in just like $5 increments. Uh, It's like a one-time thing. I think you can subscribe, but if you just want to donate $5, if you want to donate $10, $15, that'd be awesome. Buy me a cup of coffee. Thank you so much for listening. You're the best. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> I got lost in the um looking through. Oh my goodness. This book, I gotta tell you, listeners, there is so much information packed in there. Well, let's like look at the questions really quick. So what did grow well in your garden this year? Barb, I have to ask my very first question is like what's your original garden memory like who were you with what did you grow like what's your very first memory of being in the garden outside of chicago which i'm also a city girl i grew up 20 minutes from new york okay cool um so my first memories of the garden are actually in chicago and um my mother didn't grow very many vegetables but she did grow flowers but my neighbor was Italian and she was from Italy and so she had a full portage garden in her little you know what you got a quarter acre in the city (laughs) maybe a very small plot but she utilized her entire backyard and I would often stay there after school because my mother worked downtown and I would help Lita in her garden and that fascinated me and the smells that came from this woman's house. Let me tell you, <laughs> you know, she's Italian cook. So the oregano, the garlic, you know, uh, the rosemary. And I was thrilled by this at a very young age to see that type of um, uh, activity going on within the city. And I think, so that's my first gardening experience. It's my first joy Also, my grandmother lived in Florida, which I was kind of lucky as a kid. I got to vacation down there in the summer. And um, they retired down there. And she used a lot of fresh produce. She didn't necessarily grow it, but she grew really fascinating things like aloe. And my first experience with that is she used it on my sunburn. And I, I, I was eight, nine years old and realized holy cow, like, like this thing from the ground just cooled off my sunburn and and made everything so better. How fascinating is that? And it was to me as a child. And so that developed a really a lifelong interest in uh, moving into this from a very young age. I had some huge influences. My first gardening experience on my own, like I said, I bought a farm. (laughs) So that was crazy. And I, I, I now like is that plotted. the farm that you're at now in Kentucky? It's not. I was up in Minnesota. I moved to Minnesota, and uh, at a and young And then, age how'd you get work. to Kentucky? So my husband um, works in the airline industry, 
and we've moved around a bit, but he's from Kentucky. And so we, uh, we've landed up here. We, we have a 15 acre farm now, which is just a sustainable farm for us and love it. <laughs> My first gardening experience though, I went nuts and planted like two acres, I think it was just insane. And of course got like a hundred chickens and I knew nothing. And I just researched and read and I went and talked to my farmer neighbors who were the best resource for anything. These people have been doing it all their lives. What was having 200 chickens like or 100 chickens like for laying <laughs> eggs or broiler chickens or both or? I did both. Um, so it was kind of insane. <laughs> It, it taught me so much. I, I'm that kind of person. I, I dive right in. And, uh, you know, my biggest concern was keeping them alive because I didn't want to um, jeopardize anything. Even with the garden, my biggest concern was how do I keep all of this alive and thriving and, and how do I use it? And I had so much garden excess that I wound up getting pigs to eat the excess. It's kind of crazy, but... Uh, <laughs> in that I learned so much about nature and animals and everything works and and nothing nothing has to be wasted for the chickens I I did you know grow them for both meat and eggs because my my point at that point was I want to become sustainable I just want to be my own kind of little produce store why are we wasting all these miles bringing everything to these places I realized like way back then what was happening in the world and how we just had removed ourselves from this farming culture as a society and not understanding how much we can actually grow ourselves even if you live in an apartment you don't have to be importing things from uh, a different country for example so that's sort of what my mindset was and I dug right in and I was working 60 hours a week and gardening 60 hours a week it was, you know it was crazy what and was the struggle with, the with keeping them alive was it predators well, knew, or feeding them all or yeah I mean number one room? I knew like how much room did you have a pen like I can't even imagine that <laughs> yeah so literally I didn't know a lot so that was the one like wanted to keep them alive and healthy and happy uh you know so i was staying up late at night just burning through books and talking to local farmers and thank god i had a, a farmer next door who raised ducks so they were able to teach me a lot about what kind of space they needed and i had a huge huge fenced in because we did have predators yes um so that was you know another thing and i lost uh two right on early on from a predator I didn't realize, um, you know, that possums and raccoons will attack your chickens. And so I, you know, was able to set up a fenced in area where they could free range without that concern. Uh, it was quite a big area, uh, quite a big fenced in area that I had for them and a really nice big house that I built that they could um, roost and lay eggs in and, and be happy. And of course, a lot of the meat ones, you know, you only keep for about a year max before you're going to reduce that so I did reduce down to just the layers at that point and you realize that chickens are also great I, I imagine you do use them for composting as well 
I didn't know that early on, but I realized that they could be great composters of a lot of the herbs. And some of those things were very good for them too. So I learned so much about that through research, through trial and error, and managed to keep the majority of them alive. So I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, over the years, I've continued to. And like you mentioned earlier, they are just great. People don't realize how domestic chickens can be. They are very friendly uh, domestic pets. Roosters, yeah, you know, they, they can go either way. But hens, for the most part, um, love to be loved and love attention and love great herbs and food and sprouts and, and everything else that you can pass their way. You know, I cannot figure out what these chickens or what this now I call her Queen Juliet because I never paid so much for a chicken in my <laughs> life. But when I had the little baby, so the little baby was called Golden Eagle because when he was she was born, she had this really golden head and this dark brown body and she would sit on my shoulder and watch me work like in the house down in the garden if i was reading a book while i was watering or sitting on my computer at my art desk or painting she like just came with me everywhere <laughs> she was so tiny it was so cute and then i don't know what happened like just one day i went down there and she just wasn't there it was it was i was working late on this podcast one night and it got after dark and i just went down there about a month ago and all of a sudden there's just juliet so now juliet comes in but she's been letting me pet her um and now i need to get juliet a friend <laughs> but these are the first two chickens after 20 years that i've ever like held and petted and like i like going down and cleaning out their cage and giving them fresh like i put a layer of newspaper and then i put some straw in there and she just started laying eggs again so, like she hadn't laid an egg from like october until i was just telling mike today i think we just got about a dozen eggs so the last 12 days she lays an egg every day and i want to get her a friend but i want to wait until we're either going to give her away or if we can figure out the electric fencing thing the problem is mike is trying to figure out he thinks we need to fence the whole orchard because that bear came in and broke the apple trees too which is oh, like yeah. 300 feet of <sighs> fence and also that means every gate and there's four gates and they have to be like if the fence is going to be but i think it really only needs to be turned on at night um it seems like the bear came through about 5 30 in the morning um the times that it came I don't know so we have to figure those parts out and then i've been like in touch with the grizzly bear program we did get on a list where they will pay for 50 percent of but it's first come first serve in montana here and then again okay. it has to be a certain jewel like i was going to order i was like well what if we just at least do the chicken coop and the chicken she has like a 75 foot fence outside the chicken coop that's within the 300 foot of garden and orchard area that would at least do herb then we're like how do we keep the you know that also keeps the dog in and then what was his thing about that and then oh the fish 
wildlife and parks guy or the grizzly bear guy was like it has to be 0.7 joules and the, i found the solar electric fence that would do that 75 feet but it's only 0.25 so it's not powerful enough for the bear Ugh, so it's just like i was like oh we can afford this and we can get it and i was going to get it when we got the second stimulus check i'm like should i order it you know i'd been researching on amazon and then the grizzly bear guy sent me a video and i was like wait did that say i go back to order the solar thing and i'm like oh that's only 2.25 it's got to be 0.7 so that didn't work so now it's like oh but anyway um what were we talking about the layer oh well yeah i do tell my listeners quite frequently like the chickens are here for the poop and the eggs are just the cherry on top they are yep first and foremost are feeding our garden bed although once you get used to chicken <laughs> like it's been like this crazy thing like it's hard to go back to buying eggs in the store i feel so guilty whenever i buy those eggs because like i was telling you in the pre-chat our pen is just so nice it's got trees it's got right. shade it's got these bushes that the chickens don't eat like there were there was this one part where the chickens like most when i see people with chicken tractors and i see places online the chickens are in this just pure dirt which i am realizing she likes to take chicken baths oh this was the other thing my husband and i used to yeah. argue about all winter long I'm like, you need to make her a place that she can go. She doesn't want to go out. <laughs> she doesn't want to be out in the <laughs> snow. If I put her out in the snow and I lay the hay down so she's not walking on the snow and try to make her a place and feed her out, she just wants to be in that chicken coop. Both of them wanted yeah. to be in there. I could not get them to go out all winter long, no matter what, even for 10 minutes on bright, sunny days. I'm like, you guys go out there, get some fresh air. No, they, <laughs> I would like nope. lock them out for a little bit. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They want to be in that that chicken coop and now right. she's been coming out and she's been hanging out a little more just in the last two or three days <laughs> so like <laughs> i had all these preconceived notions about chickens based on me but really what they want and so like again i'm saying we have this really really nice chicken pen if i can just figure out how to keep that grizzly bear out of there um, and then whatever yeah, got my good. little eagle, which we're thinking was maybe an owl, maybe she like sh little eagle can get over the fence or she could. Um, Juliet doesn't seem to go over the fence. It's a six foot high. It's a deer fence. It keeps but Juliet right. has never flown over it. But little eagle would fly over it. And I'm wondering, like, was she like, mom, mom, it's dark. And um, all of a sudden, I looked up from doing this podcast. I was just trying to finish for these guys because I have to return them within 24 hours. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's dark out. And I went down to get the chickens and just we've never seen her again. There were no Aww. feathers. There was nothing. So we don't know. Did a weasel get in there? Did I think maybe she hopped over that fence and an owl or a hawk got her? Could be. Could know. be. But anyway. Um, Back to the garden question. We should just get to the root of things because you're probably like, I gotta go, Jackie. And how long is the interview gonna ask? Like, do you <laughs> have a least least favorite activity to do in the garden? Something you gotta force yourself to do? Uh, Jackie, I'm happy to talk to you as long as you want. I've carved out time for you. Um, a least favorite thing to do in the garden. 
I absolutely love to garden. Like I just love to be outside, but I don't think anybody likes pulling weeds. Um, at least the invasive ones. <laughs> so I don't pull a lot of weeds because there are ones I leave up, especially dandelions, things of that nature that are just great for the wildlife and the bees and the butterflies. And uh, realistically, the only thing that separates a weed from a herb or a spice is us, whether we prefer it or not. Um, so that's that's probably, you know, I, I guess that would be my least favorite. But even that I don't mind because I just, I absolutely love being outside in the garden, connecting with nature, putting my hands in the dirt, you know, getting down into the reality of it. Um, least favorite would be if something fails. <laughs> that's, that, that's really frustrating when I have a big, beautiful, healthy plant and, you know, maybe I did something stupid or Mother Nature's just not cooperating. That's no fun. Uh, I just sent an email out to some of my um, listeners the other day about how many plants have you already killed this spring? Because I've killed like two trees of arugula <laughs> and several um oh just and then last night my husband sent me down and i planted i transplanted some arugula i transplanted his basils he only had or not basils broccoli he only had six broccoli i'm like why did you send me down there because like before he even (laughs) got out of the house i'd broken two leaves off of these babies and then i get down there like why did you send me to go do that by myself and then i covered them with the row cover and it got down to like 25 degrees so i'm i'm scared to even go look and see if they made it but i've been trying to take over more of what's in this 300 foot of garden around the house this year where he plants a mini farm um that is also its own like 250 something feet of fence plus he's got these he just has so much so i've been trying to take over more of the garden area and so this is in my area so this was like i planted arugula and lettuce seeds last night and um and what else and then i transplanted some baby arugula because he i i killed two batches but i had one batch but he told me this morning he's like look your snapdragons are doing good your marigolds are doing good just some things are always gonna die but it was not easy getting that bed ready and pulling some of those weeds were so tough like the quack grass yeah um, trying to get that out and what was one of the other things that i was really struggling with i don't know but anyway on the flip side what's your favorite activity oh harvest <laughs> hands down harvest when i can pluck that first cherry tomato off the tree right or clip that first uh thing of basil rosemary whatever heart just the smell the the scent I, a lot of things don't even make it from my garden <laughs> sometimes because i'm just out there eating it oh That's, the first yeah. baby asparagus in the spring yeah they never make it to the house i don't even cook them or anything Ugh, so good exactly. i see my chives are growing and just things are like it just seems like in the last week how far things have come um that are down there yeah and there's nothing like fresh herbs like even fresh dried herbs like yeah a month ago I bought, um, you know, like the plugs that you buy in the produce department. I bought a rosemary. I couldn't mm-hmm. find a basil. They were all out of, uh, I did finally 
find, I think, a basil denim whitefish. But I bought two rosemaries, two sages, a mint, and and the one basil that made it into four plants. The basil all died, but I dried it. And having that fresh dried basil even, and the rosemary's yeah. died, but having the fresh dried, my husband's like, why do you have this dead plant on the kitchen table? But <laughs> I'm like, I'm like crumbling it into my soup each night, even though it's dead, yeah. like it's still dried and it was right there. I finally did pull it off and put it in a jar, but oh, isn't that flavor? There's just nothing like fresh dried flavor compared to those spice jars you buy full of dry like that stuff is so old and just has no flavor and they're so expensive besides it's just crazy to me yeah what people well, pay bad. for herbs i'm like oh my gosh i haven't bought an oregano herb since i've lived here i don't think i re i usually have enough basil that i dry in the fall or i usually have a fresh basil on my windowsill it just it kind of depends. I don't know, but yeah, without a doubt, it is. And my sage, I was able to harvest dried out of my garden all winter this year. Um, I love to put yeah. fresh sage with um butter on ravioli. I love to have ravioli mm -hmm. and butter and sage sauce. Anyway, mm, very good. Barb, what's the best gardening advice you've ever received? Oh, the best gardening advice I've ever received. That's a good question because I've received a lot, <laughs> especially since I'm a researcher. There's there's so many. I, I think early on was just, you know, patience and um, not to be afraid to try again or try a different way because some people do not. And it, it's just true. Some people just do not have a knack for gardening. And I always tell them, you know, you can still grow stuff. You, you can, you just have to find out what works for you. I mean, whether it's, all right, so maybe you can't grow it in the soil, but have you ever tried aquaponics? Some of the machines they make are fantastic. You still get fresh herbs, lettuce right on your countertop and it's, there's really nothing to it. You pour some water in a cup and make sure it's got uh, plant food. And I think anybody can do that. So there's, it's, it's really finding what works for you and not giving up. I think that is the best advice that I've ever had, because just because I can't grow something, you know, there may be 10 other ways to grow it that I haven't looked at and that has worked. And uh, also soil health is just a huge, I think we, we talked about that really early in our conversation with the person that you interviewed with microbes. Soil health is so important in a garden and for the success of your planting. And most people don't realize that. And so they plant in the ground and then nothing grows or just one thing grows and they think they did something wrong. Well, what they did wrong is they didn't test the soil and treat the soil for what nutrients it needed prior to putting the plant in the ground. So that's, again, if you haven't had success in your patch of land, go find out what's in your soil, go find out what's lacking. You can take and get a free test at any extension agency, you know, in the county, there's tests you can pay for as well. If you happen to live too far from an extension uh, service or don't have that in your area, that's like hyper important. And if you really think you have crap soil, like I lived in Georgia for a while and we had clay, a heavy amount of clay in the soil. So it was very difficult 
to grow certain things. Um, one of the first things I did, and this is another tip, there's just so many tips that are great. Uh, you know, go find out what your neighbors are growing successfully and, and ask, you know, what grows well in the soil that you have, number one, but then what are they growing successfully that they did something different with? You can make a raised bed, you can plant in containers, you can control your soil environment. So even if you have a quote unquote cruddy soil, you know, there are alternatives that you can use to make that work for you. So I think really be flexible, be patient, and, um, you know, know that there's more than one way to do something. Oh my gosh, these are all such great tips. And, you know, I'm like the perfect example, like since I started my podcast, I've gone from brown thumb to green thumb for sure, but I still struggle. And like, speaking of that, one, hemp is really good for building your soil so another reason we should be growing kemp and we should have our big farmers growing hemp in their you know as a rotating cover crop but also um like one of the mistakes i always make and so maybe there's a listener out there that does this like i always think like that brown spot look there's dirt there we should put the plant there and that's like the biggest like fallacy like it's like you should be looking where stuff is growing and i still do that today like i'm still like wanting to plant this one area and my husband's like the reason nothing is growing there is because when i built the house before you were here that was the mill site and there are like still probably like oil that dripped out of the mill right there i don't know what and he's like also i hauled in like a ton of gravel like is a flat spot because that's where there was a road underneath the mill and quit trying to grow there you never because i'm like why don't you move the chicken house over there because there's kind of like this old frame from when he had like this greenhouse there this is the other thing he's like the reason we're not using that greenhouse is because it doesn't get any sun and i would have to cut that giant tree that you're always like don't cut that tree down (laughs) next to it to grow do you want me to cut the tree down and i'm like no (laughs) and he's like like i always pick the worst spots to grow still but i love that you're i'm thinking like i'm taking this copywriting course and i'm thinking finding what works for you might make a great heading or title for this podcast episode or 10 other ways to grow something like your persistence and i was just interviewing somebody the other day who was like i've been trying to grow watermelon radishes for 10 years now and finally that they grew well last year and i'm like wow if you've been trying to grow radishes for 10 years and no wonder because i tasted those watermelon radishes at the farmer's market and i've tried to grow them and we haven't had much luck and and so i was like well if you've been doing it for 10 years and haven't had much luck maybe we need to just keep trying and that whole persistence and finding what works for you and your space and then and talking to local gardeners like my husband and i wrote this thing called the organic oasis guidebook and in there i'm like introverts wanted like even if you're shy and you don't like to talk don't worry because gardeners just like you will do a lot of the talking if you're just a good listener so awesome advice you had just been (laughs) dropping tons of golden seeds barb um and i'm going to try even harder not to interrupt you because i just 
put a post out to my <laughs> listeners yesterday. I'll quit interrupting my guests. I'm sorry, I promise. And here I am talking more than ever. Anyway, Bart, what's your favorite tool? If you had to move and could only take one tool with you, what could you not live with? Oh, good. Um, <sighs> from a garden tool perspective, it's just a simple spade, I think. You can do so much with it. You, you don't really need all of these other fancy things. Uh, or maybe a shovel, I guess, if I want to do bigger plants. So what about for like, like harvesting a... herbs? Got any tips for harvesting herbs that maybe we haven't heard? Uh, that you haven't heard, but I'm sure everything is out there because obviously I researched a lot of it. But um, each herb is is different, so that's a real tough one. I think what's my best tip is to use them fresh whenever possible, uh, especially those that can be used fresh because you're going to get the max benefit from the medicinal properties of that plant. Uh, secondly, then look towards freezing it if that's possible, because again, you'll preserve the most nutrients and the, the best qualities of that plant before you dry it. Drying is great, but you do lose some properties of the plant. So that's um, probably something that I don't think a lot of people look at. And in that case, then my best herb tip ever is most people try to plant big patches of herbs because you know their, their intent is, well, I'll dry it and use it throughout the winter. That's cool. But my suggestion is to cycle plants. So instead of a let's just say instead of a, you know, three square feet of herbs, just plant one. And then a few weeks later, plant another one so that you're continuously harvesting what you need and using it fresh, especially if you are looking towards a medicinal standpoint. And then of course the last batches, that's what you'll freeze or uh, preserve in a different manner. You know, whether maybe you alcohol cure it or vinegar cure it or any number of the ways um, that actually teach you to in the book. And each one has its different attributes and properties and uses. So that's probably something I don't hear a lot uh, from anybody in terms of cycling your planting. Everybody seems to want to tell you to put it all in the ground at once. And that's, to me, is sort of a misuse, if you've, especially if you've got a longer growing season. Now, if you have a shorter growing season in Montana, you probably do for certain herbs but like you said sage grows throughout winter often there are herbs that will continue rosemary will continue to grow through colder conditions so why not plant smaller batches of it every month so that you're continuously harvesting fresh because you're going to get the best for your body the best for the planet the best for that herb the best growing conditions as it's not competing with other plants i was gonna say uh, cause I did see something somewhere about freezing herb. Like, what do you do? Like, do you wrap it in saran wrap or put it in a Ziploc? Cause I did see something the other day about somebody pulling the herbs out of the freezer. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow, I never do that. Like, how do you put herbs in the freezer? Do you put them in ice cube trays or you put them in a Ziploc or do you have to like keep a stem separate how's that work okay so yeah that's great they it works different by herb and and i'll discuss that in the book too but on a nutshell 
My two favorite ways. Yes, you can freeze a lot of herbs just whole. And I prefer a vacuum system rather than a Ziploc bag, which is going to allow moisture to get in. Uh, if you vacuum seal it, of course, you're going to just preserve it as max and freeze it. And there are a lot of herbs that take very kindly to that. There are some that don't. For example, basil. Basil degrades upon freezing. As we know, if you've ever grown basil and you have a frost, you just lost your plant. It's a very cold, sensitive plant. It also changes the flavor. So that's one that I'm not going to freeze. But for others that do very well, rosemary in particular, just throw it in a vacuum seal bag on, you know, on the stem. You don't have to take it off. You can just stem it all, throw it in a vacuum seal bag, throw it in the freezer. And when you're ready to use it, take it out of the freezer, let it get to room temperature, and then, you know, take the leaves off as you normally would to make a tea or cook with it or whatever you happen to be doing. Uh, ice cube tray method is another one of my favorites. A lot of herbs um, take really well to this. Mint is my absolute favorite for doing the ice cube method because I will then throw them in drinks in the summer. And that's amazing, <laughs> especially uh, mint ice cubes in grapefruit juice is like the bomb. <laughs> so, and it's so good for you and so healthy. So there's different things you could do with those ice cubes. Otherwise, you just pretty much throw the ice cube in a strainer let all the ice melt and then use the herb. Now, of course, when you freeze some herbs, um, the properties will change slightly. So for example, if your ice cube freezing mint, it's gonna get a little bit more soggy. Um, so it's not going to chop as well if you are using it in a recipe. So you might wanna consider chopping it before you freeze it. So just think about what you're going to use it for. If you're going to use it in recipes, then go ahead, chop it, throw it in the ice cube, drain the ice cube, and you already have your chopped mint for your recipe. If you're just going to use it for tea or to enhance strength, then just leave it whole, stem and all. You know, chop it into smaller pieces, of course, to fit into your ice cube container. But that's uh, that's all you need to do. And so many of the things that, you know, obviously one of the best ways to preserve um, ginger root or turmeric, uh, turmeric, is, yeah, I can never pronounce it right, <laughs> so, uh, is to freeze it and then just grate what you need as you need it. Uh, just different things, uh, many, many herbs and spices take very well to freezing and it just preserves, it's the second best way to preserve the majority of, of plant compounds and plant matter and everything that is great about that particular plant. So can you take like a piece of ginger, put it in the freezer, take it out, grate a little bit and put the yep. rest back in the freezer? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Wow. Oh my gosh. Because I, the, I hate, I always buy a rooted ginger and I use it for one meal and then I end up throwing the rest of the bit away or in the compost and I always feel guilty. So then I don't buy any for a long time. And I love ginger. I didn't know you could do that. That's awesome. Yes. Um, great tips there. And it will preserve it. We'll preserve it for a long time. That happens to a lot of people. They don't realize, of course you can root cellar ginger as well. And uh, if you keep it in a cold, you know, dark place. 
it will last a little bit longer too but you know light and well i just keep it in the fridge but i just don't use it enough and it ends up going bad but that freezer trick and then just like the whole mocktail i think people are um are really getting into you know fancier drinks flavored drinks adding fresh herbs you know like who is it um Ina Garten and Melissa McCarthy are just about to come out I've been waiting any day now they're gonna do like a webinar or something (laughs) um on on like you know those kind of drinks and I put a thing out to my listeners anybody want to have mocktails and just uh I interviewed a woman who sold herbs um grew herbs had an herb farm and was talking about how she one of her big markets was bars would yep. buy mint for their drinks um was where she and i just thought that was so fascinating and just also i think so many of us with the pandemic we're drinking more so we're looking for fresher healthier options at night because maybe we've consumed more alcohol and then i know for me personally with the shift with daylight savings staying up later and like we're not even having dinner till seven o'clock at night instead of like i was asleep by seven o'clock a month ago um and now it's not even getting dark until nine o'clock here already in montana last night that's i didn't even go down to plant none of that stuff that i planted i was telling you about in the beginning the basil and and the not the basil the broccoli and the um arugula that was all after seven o'clock last night and it was still bright light out it was really nice down there um and the sun was shining it certainly didn't feel so late but yeah being able to have something that perks you up grapefruit and mint i would never think of putting those together and check out page 181 (laughs) you like that since you just talked about it curating artisan cocktails from your herbs all right well it's funny our next question is what's your favorite recipe you like to eat or cook from the garden or did we kind of just get through do you have a favorite recipe or did we talk about it already talked about it Uh, i have many but i will say oh yeah i'm huge fan of garlic like and basil so we make a lot of uh, italian food pizza it's just the taste, the flavor, the flavor profiles on those two particular plants are amazing, and of course adapt to Italian food very, very well. So that would be probably those are two herbs like I don't want ever want to live without. <laughs> I don't my my cooking would suffer. I think I use garlic in just about everything, but I do have right. My mom was Italian. I grew up in a growing up on the mediterranean diet and she was she studied like gourmet magazine and just always was a fantastic cook oh look at this rose petals and brandy mint and rum tarragon and bourbon oh you do have just tons of pairs well with oh listeners you've got to get this book um what was i gonna say yeah right <laughs> garlic and onions go in everything God, yeah. <laughs> they're both so great for our immune systems too and um, i suffer from uh, inflammation i have Hashimoto's thyroiditis so my thyroid is gone and I have autoimmune disease 
and anything I can get that has anti-inflammatory properties just helps me function like a normal human being. So garlic is a good friend, onions as well. And that helps with your thyroid? Well, it helps reduce the inflammation in my body. So my thyroid is, is gone. And, and, you know, that's, I, so I look for every ounce of support I can get for everything that the thyroid affects from my digestive system to inflammation in my body to serotonin, uh, thyroid. It's amazing what all this little thing in our body regulates and not having one. Obviously I do have to take a synthetic drug. Uh, to help myself well that's why i was like because i've been taking that l-thyroxin the synthroid for years and i'm just like i'm always asking my doctor is there something i can do so i don't have to take this synthroid or at least get on a lower dose because it seems like every time i go back they want me to you know every year i have to go get the thing and every year they want me to take a higher dose i'm just like isn't there something natural isn't there like something i can do to my diet to get off of this like i just hate having to get that stupid take that (laughs) stupid pill every day and could this be and then i'm curious because my husband is not a fan of garlic and onions it is someone who grew up putting that in everything i've really like since we've been married i have like reduced and like now i'm almost sensitive to it where like i can't eat as much garlic and onions as i used to and i'm curious like is that part of it i think so i think there's some so my mom and my brother both i think have to take it too and they certainly have no lack of garlic in their lives yeah. but so there, there's a lot of merit to it i've done a lot of research on that as well obviously because it's a condition that affects me i'm not an expert but um i do have to take it synthetic i have for the last uh 20 years uh, 19 years i uh, got it i developed it during pregnancy which is common i guess and uh for whatever reason <laughs> but it happened well, it seems like 90% of America takes it. Yeah, right. Well, mine's, mine's... <laughs> like, everybody I talk to is always like, yeah, I take that. Yep, yep, oh, yep. I know. Well, they, studies have shown that fluoride in our water is a partial reason why some people have developed thyroid issues over time. Now, mine is an autoimmune disorder, which they think is more hereditary, which uh, several members of my family have other various autoimmune disorders. So that's probably just luck of the draw. And my thyroid doesn't work at all. Like it's gone and uh, it still exists in my body, but it it does nothing. And so I've had to take, uh, and I also had a problem early on as you did, where it was just increasing every year. And I was like, what? Now I have found that I've been able to reduce it slightly and stay stable by really heavily working on reducing inflammation in my body. And what that does is it just allows everything to work better. So if you're taking a pill and let's say you're consuming a lot of inflammatory foods, like sugar, for example, uh, is a wildly inflammatory food and you're taking Synthroid, well, the Synthroid then has to combat through that as well as trying to support your thyroid and and doing its general function. So I have found that taking care of different key points within my body, like 
you know, using ashwagandha to promote my serotonin development, using a lot of herbs to reduce inflammation in my body, watching what I eat. And I know I still eat some inflammatory foods that by choice at times, I don't want to completely alter my lifestyle. I like bread, for example. <laughs> so, you know, I, I will occasionally delve into that and I know what I'm doing. Um, but for the most part, if I really work at it, I was able to reduce um, not only the amount of Synthroid I was taking, but also my cholesterol levels dropped dramatically because I was reducing inflammation in my body and eating better foods and, and taking an approach to help support the Synthroid so it worked the best that it possibly could within my body. And that has made a difference. And over time, I've just stayed stable then with that dose. So I, th I think there's some merit. Personally, it's worked for me. There's not a cure necessarily. I haven't. I, haven't I just keep hearing over and over in my head, listeners. So my friend Patty and I have been doing this thing called Grow Live. And she did a whole workshop on, you know, inviting beneficials and friending friending the beneficials and and unfriending the bugs and pests and whatever but ultimately what she talks about is healthy plants will you know bugs and pests aren't going to attack healthy plants and you are going to have some plants that just aren't as healthy in your garden as you are and it sounds exactly like what you're saying like the healthier i can make my body the more it's going to be able to build my immune system, build, you know, reduce inflammation, like a lot of these things that you're talking about. And so if I can just be the healthiest I can be, um, you know, I've been striving, I've been reading Shailene Johnson lately, and she talks about, you know, just really at least shoot for 80%. And I do feel like one of the reasons I don't have diabetes for somebody who is, super overweight for i i'm always i'm like how can i be so overweight like for as much as i tried it like last summer i was walking 75 miles a month which isn't that great i'd like to get up to three miles a day which would be closer to 90 on an average but at least like it was a big improvement like march and april when the pandemic first hit i was only getting like you know on my log meter like 30 miles a month and so right. to be able to push it up to 75 was a big thing last summer and most um like twice a week i was walking seven miles with my dogs and even though it was slow it's like you know this is better than a lot of people i feel like i'm fairly healthy but just not enough but you've given me so many tips here that i feel like i hope it, i you know i feel like there's probably a lot of listeners that are just getting tons of you know, great information. Cause again, like you said, I think a lot of us in this country are struggling, but I am like, I feel bad. Like we're almost two hours in this interview. So you're probably like, uh, um, no, right. I'm glad how about a favorite called. internet resource? Where do you find yourself surfing on the web? I always love to talk to researchers. I was just, uh, you know, when the funny talked about garlic yesterday, I was editing my interview I did with Jesse Frost from the No-Till Growers, and we had quite a conversation about garlic because that is one of their number one sellers. And him and his wife 
built uh bought a new farm and they're moving and his he said he talks about on the show one of the biggest things was we're not moving till the spring with the people who are buying our farm from let us get the garlic in in october because he was so worried because that they plant like ten thousand garlic plants or something like garlic and carrots are his two biggest sellers and like that was one of their biggest things was how are we going to get this garlic into the new but the i think the new the farm that they were going to buy they let them plant it or they lease the field or something but anyway where where do you find yourself surfing on the web research oh that was it jesse's a researcher too awesome. i i yeah I, th- I think some of us are just born that way <laughs> i am i've been always so curious about everything and that was what intrigued me about going into journalism i always wanted to ask the questions so uh ncbi which is the u.s national library of medicine national institutes of health website is my number one go-to because i absolutely love finding out what's new in research uh, what people are doing with different herbs, cannabis, um, any anything in the medicinal arena, and it's so it's not just about drugs. There are there's a lot of research going on with plants and cannabis in particular, and so NCBI, I think it's ncbi.nlm.nih.gov is the actual um, thing. And you'll see me cite some of that in my book, actually. Uh, so if you look to the very back end notes, you'll see. Is it this National National Center for Biotechnology Information? Uh, no. So it's that's what you ncbi.nlm.nih.gov, and that is the U.S. National Library of Medicine National Institutes of Health website. In the end notes in the back of the book, you'll see me cite them a few times specifically for some research just happens to be one of the best websites if you're looking for what's happening in the research world for a particular condition or with a particular herb or with a particular plant um you know it's a library of everything every paper that's been written every experiment that's going on so it's really great you will go down the rabbit hole (laughs) very easily if you just search cannabis for example and uh you know this, this book took two years to develop so i did go down a lot of rabbit holes and wound up talking to some of the the researchers as well to get more layman's terms on some of what was going on but I, I happen to love that. Um, I do love going down the rabbit hole of research. I love exploring and finding out as much as I can about a particular topic. That just happens to be a really hardcore website if you are looking for scientific information. So it, it is one of my favorites to head towards when I'm looking for something. Uh, and and I am just going to say, what I, when I'm like looking... So there's the National Library of Medicine, the National Institute of Health, which is www.nlm.nih.gov. Yes. And then, then there's also 
the ncbi.nlm.nih.gov. So it must be like part of their website. The National Center for Biotechnology Information is part of the National Library of Medicine, National Institute of Health. Yes, I believe so. I guess. But the National Library of Medicine is just www.nlm.nih.gov. Yes. So that would be a more, yeah, for yeah, that would be a more broad way to look at it. Awesome. And then how about a book? A ghost? Besides your three <laughs> books, which we'll get to in just a sec. A book, mine. Oh, I don't, I honestly don't have a go-to book um, in this arena. I've read so many great books. And, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> that's really tough. Like, I'm not the type, of, I can't even tell you what my favorite song is. Like, I'm not that type of person. I'm sort of eclectic, and I love everything, and I, I love so many things of equal importance. Um, one of the books that I think early on I used, what's the, um, trying to look at, up the exact name. It's a huge book, and it's like the Homestead Encyclopedia or something. Uh, or is it the Encyclopedia of Country Living? That might be it. Yes, it's the Encyclopedia of Country Living. I think everybody should own this book, especially if you're just starting out. It's cool i don't have that one and i don't know that one it's it's in its 50th year i believe it is an amazing resource it was for me early on i would say i don't go to it now very much but in the beginning like (laughs) if you think my book is chock full of stuff that is something that should be on everybody's shelf especially if you're just uh starting out or maybe even if you're mid if you're an expert already i don't know if you'll gain as much from it but uh, it's called the Encyclopedia of Country Living, um, and I believe it's yeah. I've just pulled up the 50th anniversary edition, the original manual for living off the land and doing it yourself by Carla Emery, and it is gold. If you are looking to do anything from raising chickens, pigs, beekeeping, baking, gardening, preserving. Um, like everything is in there, everything that was done. And not only, um, so it, it's not only like what was done, it's, it's really realistically, like if you lived in the pioneer days, absolutely everything you would need to know to live off the land is in this book. So there's things you wouldn't even think of or necessarily do, but we can do. So it's really cool. Like, you know, you make your own cheese and, um, spinning wool and, and you know all kinds of crazy stuff that's really cool and and we're moving back to now you know how do you if you want to be completely 100% sustainable uh, this book will tell you how to do it you know get your little acre of land and and go go to town but if you just even you know just as a reference for gardening there's so much in there that I learned from initially so if I have to pick a go-to book that's it Awesome. That looks like a good one. All right. 
we're going to talk about your website in one second, but I'm going to ask my final question and then we'll tell listeners how to connect with you and how to get to your awesome website. But Barb, if there's one change you'd like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Oh, good question. There's there's two I'm extremely passionate about. Uh, one is water. Well, I'll say three, because there are there's just three that I concentrate on regularly where I donate my money towards um water <laughs> water conservation we need to readdress the fishing industry um we need to realize that water has the ability to save our planet if we are using that resource responsibly and we currently are not so that's a huge um, area of concern. I think soil conservation comes next. Again, if it's a huge resource that we are overusing and we need to look at ways to replenish the earth before we are out of earth to farm. So those are the two big ones. And then three, I think we all need to step back and remember that we are creatures of the earth. So I think we're already on that level together, but I don't think the planet is there. We all have to get out and connect with the earth, take time to appreciate nature and and become understanding that every single thing we do impacts this living creature, this living planet that we are on. The earth is a living organism. We are living organisms and we all work in synergy together and if we are out of synergy with this which we are currently as you said with the green new deal you support and other things that are striving towards fixing that because we have become disconnected from our earth and our planet and this is why we're having problems and we need to figure out a way to step back refocus and remember that we are all we're all in this together from the smallest little you know ant to the biggest person on the planet we're all in this this relationship together and if we don't preserve each other well (laughs) we're gonna have some problems right which which we're seeing so those are my three things that i'm very passionate about i put my time and energy towards and my dollars as well no barb my sister from another mother, my sister from Mother Earth. I'll bet other listeners, I know, I feel like I could just reach out and <laughs> hug you. I'm so glad we did this interview. You are a friend I am destined to meet someday, I know. And just oh, sending you love. What an eloquent, just oh, so perfect. Tell listeners about the most awesome rural mom blog I'm going to let you go. I will. And I want to say just as well, I'm so glad that we connected and please do stay in touch because I love to find people (laughs) who are just as passionate. Um, Together we can do so much. So we need to collaborate on other stuff down the road Um, in our own little silo. Yeah, Yeah, maybe we could do a book together. Maybe I can write a children's book about you. That's awesome. (laughs) Goes to Organic Town or something. (laughs) I love it. 
Uh, my website is ruralmom.com. It's R-U-R-A-L.com. And on there, you'll find me talking about a number of different things. I work in um, many arenas, but for the most part, it's it's about gardening, things we can do to be more sustainable, you know, gift ideas, um, a lot of things. My goal with that website was to enhance people's lives in terms of finding quality things and quality activities that could help people who are living out in the country in suburban areas. It's applicable to people living in cities too. I do talk a lot about container gardening and uh, even raising chickens on, you know, balconies kind of things. So I try to adapt to everybody who's kind of out there with me. But for the most part, I found that people who are interested in homesteading, um, I have a big crowd over 40, I think. That's, I'm 50, so that makes sense. I guess I talk on that level so of where I'm at in life. And I think a lot of us are, we're, we're kind of done raising children and what's next and, and how can we now address the bigger pictures. We've done our, our greatest job is it's rural moms so I'm going to address moms here it's it's not that single people don't do a wonderful job but as moms we've raised our children we've spent our time and energy focusing there and now um, you know how can we use that passion we have for the planet and doing um, greater good in the world so there's a lot of topics out there I will continue to update for the book some of the charts that you mentioned like the um you know, the shopping list for CBD and things like that. I will be posting the book launches April 13th. It's available for pre-order now. Um, but on April 13th, I will have some of those charts printable so that you could like uh, print it or, you know, even just screenshot it and keep it on your uh, phone, whatever works, save the planet, save a tree, don't print, <laughs> but whatever works for you so that you would have those resources available in your hand as you're shopping, as you're going out in the world, that you don't have to carry the whole book with you. But it, it is a nice size book. If you're going to take a book to the grocery store, I mean, this will fit in almost any purse. It's like for as much information as is in here, you know, it's not a large book. Yeah, that was designed um, that way, actually, um, intentionally. So that it could be kind of, um, it's obviously not a pocket guide because it goes way, way much further than a pocket guide. But it was this design that it could be easily carried. And um, it's also why we put it in paperback, not hard book uh, cover. So it's, it's lighter, a little bit more accessible to people. You could bring it out into the garden with you easily. Yeah, it's, it is absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Barb, and uh, have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Again, please do stay in touch. I love, uh, I'm sure we can do something later down the road. As your readers as well, please stay in touch. If you visit ruralmom.com, there are uh, all the links to my social avenues. You can feel free to contact me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you hang out. Uh, my email address is on there. Feel free to email me if you have a question like, your rosemary i'll do what i can there's also a section in the book which may help you on growing rosemary but um i can take it further offline 
So if you're still struggling, still having problems, just reach out. If I don't know the answer, I know somebody who does. As a researcher, that's one of the coolest parts of my job. I get to know lots of people. Oh, bless your heart. Oh, my God. Uh, here. Okay. Thanks, Barb. Thank 